strange stories of peculiar people and extraordinary events throughout history. This is Notorious Narratives. Welcome to Notorious Narratives. I'm Jen. And I'm Robin. And tonight, I'm going to talk to you about a cursed jewel, a large, beautiful diamond that has proved deadly over its nearly 400-year history with tales of murder, suicide, heartache, and financial downfall. All of these surround this stone that has captivated the imaginations of people for four centuries. The Jewel of the Nile. This <laughs> is the story of the Curse of the Hope Diamond. Oh, the Hope Diamond. I immediately thought of, like, the Jewel of the Nile. I was thinking Jewel of the Nile. I was thinking Indiana Jones. Yeah. I was, like, just constant. Hope Diamond. Excellent. Constant. We've stuff. seen it. In person. That's true. Mm -hmm. So pretty. So not what I was expecting, though. So I'm going to start off by telling you the Webster Dictionary definition of the word curse, which is a solemn utterance intended to invoke a supernatural power to inflict harm or punishment on someone or something. I curse you. I curse the ground you walk upon. I curse you with constant diary. Please, God, no. That's the worst kind of curse. The Hope Diamond is one of the most famous jewels in the world. I mm. think you would agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Otherwise, I think everyone would. Its blue color and enormous size of just over 45 carats leave the viewer awestruck. This gem, though beautiful, is a source of great mystery. For the past 400 years, the gem has passed hands person to person, many of them being the victims of great misfortune. There are many that say the Hope Diamond is cursed. The jewel is believed to have originated in India and that a French jewel merchant named Jean-Baptiste Tavernet obtained the stone in 1666, possibly by purchase or by theft. A juice theft. <laughs> it is said that Jean-Baptiste stole oh, there you go. the 115-carat blue diamond from the forehead of a statue of the Hindu goddess of Sita. Oh, that's not cool. Upon discovering that it was missing, priests put a curse on whoever was in possession of the gem, which has included a fair amount of people over the years. I would think the gem alone is cursed if you remove it from the head of a statue. I mean, if you're taking, I think if you're like, stealing from a religious artifact, you, yeah. you have to think that no real good could come from that. And not even in a superstitious sense, but if you're living that type of life, where you are stealing things from a statue, nothing good is going to come to I'm you. I'm also very disappointed that nothing actually happened when he did it. There was no arrows thrown. There was no like bonds. There was no Indiana with, like, Jones there situations. Was no water coming through the side. Of no the giant thing. cannibal. There was no, like, nothing. Nothing. Mm -hmm. He walked away with a freaking. So the legend goes that for this transgression, Tavernet was torn apart by wild dogs oh, on a no. trip to Russia after he had sold the diamond. This was the first horrible death attributed to the curse. The diamond, purchased or stolen from India, is said to have come from the Kolor mines of Golconda, India. In his writings, Tavernet mentions that this mine had many colored gems, but does not speak of this diamond specifically. Its much-admired rare blue color is due to trace amounts of boron atoms within the actual stone. Tavernet, after purchasing or stealing this, this gem, continued to travel and eventually arrived back in France in 1668, 
where he brought the large uncut stone that was crudely cut into a triangular shaped stone of 115 carats. So he brings this, like, essentially it's a fucking rock. <laughs> it's like, you know, when you see, like, a girl you work with and they come in and they have, like, a big old, like, diamond ring. You're like, oh, my God, that's a rock. But, like, that's like a one, two carat ring max. This is a hundred and fifteen. A palm fitting rock. This is like a stone. This is, a, this, is this is big. We're doing There's hand weight. gestures right now. I know you guys like, can't see the. We're pretending to hold the weight because you can tell it has a weight to it. You know, this is serious, serious business. This diamond, of course, is much larger than the present weight of the Hope Diamond. Yeah, it is. Because the Hope Diamond has been cut down at least twice in the past three centuries. French King Louis XIV, also known as the Sun King, ordered Tavernay presented at court. So he hears that this, like, gem merchant has come back and he has all these, like, crazy stones. And he's like, bring him here. I need to see them. So from Tavernay... Louis XIV bought the large blue diamond, as well as 44 large diamonds and 1,122 smaller diamonds. Jesus. So he just bought, like, a shit ton of diamonds from this guy. Apparently this guy just traveled around, collected his diamonds, came home, sold them to royalty. It just seems insane. It seems a time and a place that I can't fathom how this diamond was captured how it was brought back because it was swallowed by an alligator and they had to fish it out the alligator <laughs> and then they made boots from the alligator's skin. cut its belly open pull it out yeah and now the blue heart of the gator with, uh, with great boots i have no idea what you're talking about the jewel of the nile <laughs> Come on, lady. i know but like my god in 1678 louis the 14th commissioned the court jeweler jean patau to recut the tavernier blue which was what it was called, uh, resulting in a 67-carat stone, which royal inventories thereafter listed as the blue diamond of the crown of France. What did they do with all the other stuff? The fragments. I mean, I'm sure they made it into other smaller like items. bracelets and like rings and stuff like that. Yeah, earrings. bracelets, rings, little earring and necklace. Oh, dear. Yeah. According to one report, Louis ordered that Patau was to make a piece to remember... And Patel took two years on that piece, resulting in a triangular-shaped 69-carat gem the size of a pigeon's egg that took the breath away as it snared the light, reflecting it back with bluish-gray rays. It was set in gold and was supported by a ribbon for the neck, which was worn by the king during ceremonies. Hi, everybody. I'm Katie Segal. And I'm Kurt Sutter. And welcome to our new podcast called Pi, People, Influences, and Experiences. Yes, it's sort of the uh, get to know you at a deeper level, the who, what, when, where, and why you are rather than what it is you do. Absolutely. We're not going to talk too much about what people do. We just want to know about their families, where they come from, you know, what shapes their parenting, if they have kids, what shapes their marriages, if they're married. We just want to be really nosy. We want to get in there. A deep dive into nature and nurture. And we started it because there are a lot of people that we don't know that we are curious about. Right. And I have no friends. So for me, it's, you know. Try to get them out of the house. Listen to it on whatever you listen to. (laughs) Podcasts on? Yeah, podcast homecasts. Your, 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 your podcasting apparatus. Watch it on the YouTube. He's aging himself.
1749, Louis XIV's great-grandson, Louis XV, had the French blue, which is what it became known as, Mm -hmm. set into a more elaborate jeweled pendant. This piece fell into disuse after the death of Louis XV. The diamond became the property of Louis XVI. His wife, Queen Marie Antoinette, used many of the French crown jewels for personal adornment. On September 11th, 1792, while Louis XVI and his family were imprisoned in the temple in the early stages of the Reign of Terror during the French Revolution, a group of thieves broke into the royal storehouse at the Hotel du Gardet Moublé and stole most of the crown jewels during a five-day looting spree. Five days? Five days. It took them five days to loot that place. Oh, my God. I think they just... Yeah, everything just kept walls, like doorknobs, like everything. I mean, like when we think back to like the Amber Room, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I know that's something in like everything. So I think this is a good place to stop for a moment and discuss the sort of first leg of the diamond's journey. Right. Okay. So the jewel's first owner, Jean-Baptiste Tarvenet, is said to have come down with a raging fever soon after stealing the diamond. And after he died, his body was ravaged by wolves. However... Many reports say that he lived to the ripe old age of 84, but who knows? Maybe not. Unless someone found the diamond and pretended to be him while he was savaged by wolves. Well, there's no real specific, clear idea of how he died, but they say that he died at 84. But for me, I 100% do not think there's any stretch of the imagination that this man went to India and paid full price for this diamond. If, If he didn't steal it, he certainly significantly underpaid for it. But there's no real proven, there's no real proof that he's the first victim of the curse. But King Louis XIV, who actually purchased the jewel from him, did die of gangrene and all of his legitimate children died in childhood, except for one. So then there's another man named Nicholas Fouquet, and he worked with King Louis XIV, who purchased the gem so this is the in the first leg of its journey. So we have the man who supposedly bought it in India, sold it to the king, and then this gentleman, Nicholas, who wore it. Uh, supposedly one time he wore it for a very special occasion. Why did he get to wear it? Who knows? I mean, supposedly he was very close with the king. But shortly after wearing the gem, he fell out of favor with the king and was banished from France. <laughs> The king then changed this sentence from banishment to life imprisonment. So Fouquet spent 15 years in the fortress of Pigrenelle, which was in Italy at that. Mm-hmm. But some people believe that he is actually the man in the Iron Mask. What? So if you're not super familiar with that story, I'm sure we're going to do it very soon. But this is a masked prisoner. Yes. That was brought in and basically they were told that he always has to wear the mask, that never stay too long with him. Don't let him talk to you too much. So there are historians that believe that this gentleman who was so close to the court was the man in the iron mask. So this is a a hot topic of debate. Um, Yeah, I'm very confused. Yeah, okay. All right, all right. I have a lot of things going on in my head right now. (laughs) Yeah. So then we have Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette. Of course, we know that they met uh, quite a sticky end as they were both beheaded in 1793. Mm -hmm. They weren't necessarily beheaded because they had this jewel, but rather for their extravagance that they had shown during a time when the people of France were quite destitute and things were very, very, very tough 
for the common people. But their demise is also attributed to the curse of the diamond. Another unfortunate victim was Marie-Louise, princess of Le Bal, who was a member of Marie Antoinette's court and was also known as her closest confidant. She was killed by a mob in a most horrific fashion, apparently hit with a hammer, decapitated, stripped, and disemboweled, among other things. What? What? Like, what other things? No, I can imagine the other things. I don't want to. Just like, just what? She was just walking through the town? So she was a member of Marie Antoinette's court. So I think just being in that She had a worse death than Marie Antoinette Absolutely. And after she died and she was beheaded, her head was impaled upon a spike and carried to Marie Antoinette's prison window. Why? To torture her. So that brings us to the end of the diamond's time in France. The next few years of its journey are shrouded in mystery. But eventually, a beautiful, quite large blue diamond surfaced in England. But this diamond was only about 45 carats, not the 69 carats of the French blue. So there is no definitive proof that it's the same stone. But, I mean, how many big, giant blue diamonds are there just kicking around in the world especially at this very specific time while there is no definitive proof that it's the same there is another victim of the curse during its travels Wilhelm Fels was a Dutch jeweler who recut the diamond his son committed suicide and he died a ruined man so it makes sense of course that someone who had stolen this huge diamond would want to have it recut right because You want to hide what it really is. The blue diamond that surfaced in London was estimated at 44 carats. There is some evidence that shows that King George IV of England owned blue diamond and that after his death, the diamond was sold to pay off debts. Next, we move into the definitive history of the actual 100% Hope Diamond. So by 1812, the blue diamond was in possession of the London diamond merchant Daniel Eliasson. This is the earliest point when the history of the Hope Diamond can be definitively fixed. So since the blue diamond resurfaced in a different size, it's not 100% the exact same diamond. Mm -hmm. I guess there's always the chance that it wasn't. By 1939, possibly earlier, the blue diamond was in possession of Henry Philip Hope, from whom the Hope Diamond has taken its name. It was purchased from Daniel Eliasson for either $65,000 or $90,000. They're just varying accounts. In 1839... The Hope Diamond appeared in a published catalog of the gem collection of Henry Philip Hope, who was a member of the same family. The Hope family is said to have been tainted with the diamond's curse. According to the legend, the once rich Hopes went bankrupt because of the diamond. So, like I said, there was this catalog that had the Hope Diamond listed as one of the possessions of Henry Mm -hmm. Philip Hope. So, while Henry Philip Hope was never married... When he died in 1839, the same year that that catalog was published, his estate was actually left to his three nephews. The Hope Diamond went to the oldest of the nephews, Henry Thomas Hope, not to be confused with Henry Philip Hope. Two different people. Henry Thomas Hope is the younger nephew who ends up with the diamond. So he married and had one daughter. His daughter grew up, married, and had five children. When... Henry Thomas Hope died in 1862, the Hope Diamond stayed in possession of his wife. But after his wife died, she passed the diamond on to her grandson. But Lord Francis Hope 
had a terrible gambling problem and a habit of spending more than he made. Oh, no. And. Oh, no. But there were certain circumstances given to this inheritance and nothing could be sold without the approval of a court-appointed lawyer. So, in 1898, Francis Hope requested from the court that he was able to sell the diamond, and his request was denied. In 1899, an appeal case was heard, and again, his request was denied. In both cases, Francis Hope's siblings opposed selling the diamond. In 1901, on an appeal to the House of Lords, Francis Hope was finally granted permission to sell the diamond. So basically, he's just destitute. He has this giant diamond that he wants to sell. But because of the way he inherited it, he can't just sell it. He has to have approval. As for the curse, three generations of Hopes went untainted by the curse. But it is most likely that Francis Hope's gambling, not the curse, actually caused his bankruptcy. Eventually, Francis sold the diamond for 29,000 pounds, which is about 3 million pounds today, to a gentleman named Adolf Weil, who was a London jewel merchant, who eventually sold it off to a diamond dealer named Simon Frankel, who was based out of New York. And this is how the diamond crosses. The U.S. got the diamond. In the United States. So one report claimed that he paid $250,000 for the diamond, which is equivalent to $7.5 million today. There, oh the God. diamonds. <laughs> oh God. So he bought this diamond. He brought it over from London to New York, where the diamond sat in a safe. And through this time, there is a ton of stories that surround it about people who bought it immediately had misfortune and brought it back to him. Kind of back and forth, back and forth, oh, back and forth. Of hers? None of these are, none of these stories are fully substantiated. Like there's no names that go with them, but there's this idea. Yeah. My God. And then in 1907, one of the first depressions hits Mm -hmm. and Frankel hit hard times and sold the diamond for $400,000 equivalent to $11 million today. God. To Salim Habib, a wealthy Turkish diamond collector. Where? Like in, like, New York, you think? He sold it in New York, but to this gentleman. So then from there, there is a list of people. I'm going to run through them rather quickly. But all of these people who become owner of the diamond from... Imagine these people today. Imagine if they can go and be like, oh, I had that Hope Diamond in my hand and I sold it. Well, sure. But wait till we get to the end. Okay. Oh, no. Because you'll be... You'll be surprised. All right. So Simon Frankel, who owned the diamond, mm-hmm. supposedly hit very hard times during that depression, which isn't super surprising. No, everyone did. Another person who owned it was Prince Ivan Kononovsky, who was murdered by Russian revolutionaries. Oh. Another person who owned the diamond, or not even didn't, this person didn't even own it. They borrowed it from Prince Ivan, was then later murdered by Prince Ivan. This is one of his lovers. So what? Then it goes to his next of kin? So not even. You know, so like, it's just this like term, tumultuous thing, right? Yeah. So, you know, this woman who has been sleeping with this prince is wearing the diamond. He murders her. 
then he's murdered by Russian revolutionaries. So that's taken again. And then it, it's taken again. It's taken again. But it's not actually, it doesn't change hands during these things because it's not like today where there's actual paperwork of ownership. It's just going from person to person. No. Or no, it's getting sold through legal channels. Okay. It's like this person dies and then the estate gets sold and then and this person buys paperwork. it. Yeah. Got it. Okay. There's 100% paperwork to go Oof. through this. We're talking in the early 20th century. It's getting complicated. It gets very complicated. Uh, then there is a Greek jewel merchant, Simon Monteritas, who owned the diamond and drove his car over a cliff, killing himself, his wife, and his child. Then a Persian diamond merchant owned the diamond briefly and drowned in the sinking of a French ship in 1909. So I'm thinking that these, this diamond is not on the person when no, these accidents happen. they're just happen. the owners of that diamond. So it's in a home, it's in a safe, it's in a yeah, whatever. in a bank. It's, a, it's right. in a freaking jar on your counter. Okay. Then the Sultan of Turkey, Abdul Hamid II, actually, after the purchase of the diamond, lost control of the Ottoman Empire. This is getting kind of spooky. <laughs> Then there is the servant of the sultan who polished the diamond and was imprisoned and tortured. The sultan's favorite concubine who wore the diamond was stabbed to death. Oh, my God. The guardian of the diamond was hanged by the Turkish mob. Jesus, it's like a horcrux. It really kind of is. And so all of these awful, awful things happen. And this is in the course of three years. It changed ownership so much. So it's not just ownership, but there's other people who are so wearing it. It's like, oh, I polish it. It happens. I, I, I hold it. I, it happens. Yeah. So eventually, oh. the Parisian jewel merchant, Simon Rosenau, bought the diamond for 400,000 francs and resold it in 1910 to Pierre Cartier. For 550,000 francs. In 1910, it was offered for 150,000 American dollars and was sold to a Washington, D.C. socialite named Evelyn Walsh McLean and her husband in 1910. So in like three years, 10 people die who have touched this diamond. So she, Evelyn, happily wore the diamond. And there are even stories that she would affix the jewel to even to her dog's collar and let him wander the apartment while wearing it. But wearing the Hope Diamond came at a steep price. First, her mother-in-law died. Her son died at the age of nine. Her husband left her for another woman and later died in a mental hospital. Her daughter died of a drug overdose at 25. And eventually, she had to sell her newspaper, The Washington Post, and died owing huge debts. Evelyn's surviving children sold the diamond to Harry Winston. Mm-hmm. Nine years later, Winston mailed the gem to the Smithsonian for $2.44 in postage and $155 in insurance. The mailman who delivered the diamond to the Smithsonian was named James Todd. Apparently, he had his leg crushed in a truck accident shortly thereafter and also suffered a head injury in a separate accident. And his house burned down. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? I'm not. So what do you think? Is there a curse? I don't know. To get your leg crushed and then your house. You're not even in your house. Your house burned down. Or even the lady before him who's like, her husband left her. Her one kid died. The other one committed suicide. I don't know. She died penniless. So all of these people 
physically had some sort of the diamond in their hand, but the postman had, had a barrier. But he had a barrier. I mean, I'm not sure that you had to touch it. I think you just had to be in possession. In possession. So when we went to go see it, we were not in possession because no. it was in a case. But we did see it. We did see it. And I mean, it's kind of nuts. It's too coincidental. It's like, it's, it's. But if you think over the course of four, I know it's crazy. I don't know. It's really weird. I don't know. It's like, I don't know. Like I read all of it and I just. This person held it. This person cleaned it. This person. I feel like. Didn't touch it, but was it. Oh my God. I don't know. But then why would his house burn down? Because it just keeps coming for you. I mean like. Until it breaks you down. Like a banged up leg is good enough. Why can't burn my house down? Banged up leg, head injury. Poor guy. I don't know. I don't know. I'm glad it's encased. It's gorgeous. Because if it was not encased and it was like a touch and feel kind of moment, I would definitely. But then also the Smithsonian supposedly had terrible times after it arrived there. Like in the back of the scenes. Yeah. Well, between natural disasters that flooded parts of it that cost millions of dollars to fix. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, there's it goes so deep. Like, yeah, I can I could go so much deeper, but. It just becomes this like list and like litany oh, okay. so, of tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. So, do you think that because there's always always like there's always a card on every expedition being like do not touch? Do you think that people actually kind of touched it and they experienced something? I did not. If I say do not touch, I'm not going to touch it. Oh no, I'll never touch it. Mm-mm. Especially in a glass case, I was like, there's a fingerprint on there. No, no, no. Oh, there were so many fingerprints. I know. That's what I'm thinking. No, no. People are like, oh. So that is the tale of the curse of the Hope Diamond. Just another notorious narrative. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, there are a couple of things that you can do to help us out. You can leave a positive review wherever you're listening now. You can also go to patreon.com forward slash notorious narratives, where you can access content that is exclusive for our patrons. And remember, keep it weird and never stop exploring. <laughs>